But uh, today we're going to look at Psalm 27 uh, together. Next week we'll be back in 2 Corinthians, but I thought Psalm 27 would be fitting uh, today. Uh, something a little bit shorter. That next Corinthians sermon is going to be really long, I think. So just be warned about that. I've been reading lately in uh, the books of First Samuel and Second Samuel. And uh, the first part of First Samuel, it's a dark period in Israel's history. They're coming out of the period of the judges. And uh, they're trying to find leadership and stability. And one of the things that Israel does in the, those first few chapters is they demand a king. They want a king like the other nations. Samuel is getting old. Uh, His sons have failed in the ministry and in their lives, and so they need somebody to replace in leading, and so they demand a king of Samuel, they demand a king of of their God, Yahweh. They don't trust Yahweh enough, and so in the end they do get a king, but what it reveals about them, and many other stories reveal about Israel during that time period, is it was hard for them to trust God. It was hard for them to wait on the Lord to come through and finalize His plans. They didn't like to do that. And I would just say that we have a lot in common with ancient Israel in that regard. It's hard for us to trust in the Lord. It's hard for us to wait on Him and His plans to come into play and to see those things unfold in our lives. Sometimes we take matters into our own hands. And I just wanted to open it up a little bit this morning uh, to you. I just want to hear from you in your life and your present experiences. Where is it hard to trust the Lord right now? Let's just have some open and honest conversation. John has a list run and he's like, where isn't it hard to trust the Lord? Uh, Where is it for you hard to trust the Lord in this season of life that you're in right now? Anybody? Yeah, yeah, the lives of your children. Good. I had a little bit of a weeping session on the couch this morning, thinking of Alethea's graduation today. <laughs> it's a little hard to trust that we're already here. Uh, Faith was putting out pictures of that tiny little, tiny girl that was sitting at the kitchen table yesterday, and I just thought, man, where did the time go? Trusting the Lord. Where else? Where else is it hard to trust the Lord right now? Where are you waiting right now? And it's difficult. Yeah, yeah, you look at the state of what's going on in our country. Look at the state of what's going on even around the world if you want to broaden it and you say, man, what is happening? Yeah, waiting, trusting in the Lord. What else? Yeah, Lori. For a prodigal son. son. Trusting in the Lord, waiting for that return. Good. Thank you for sharing that. Anybody else? Sanctification. Sanctification. Overcoming sin. Uh, growing in our relationship with Jesus and holiness. Yeah. It's hard to trust the Lord when news from the doctor isn't so great. <clears throat> or you have to wait on news from the doctor in that, that in-between time when you've taken the test and you don't know what the results are. You're passed up on a promotion at work again. Or you thought things were going to go a direction in your occupation and in your career. And they don't go that direction. It's hard to trust in the Lord when you're betrayed by friends, when you're betrayed by family. Grief, loneliness seem unbearable. It's hard to trust in the Lord in those seasons of life. And so when trust is hard, when the trials come, what are we supposed to do? Psalm 27 addresses these things. Psalm 27, interesting, Israel demands a king, God gives them a king, Saul isn't a great king, but the king that would come after Saul would be a great king, David, and David is the author, the poet, 
who records for us Psalm 27. And so let's, uh, if you just follow along as I read this for us this morning. Um, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and my foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear, and though war arise against me, yet I will be confident. One thing I have asked of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. And I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud. Be gracious to me and answer me. You have said, seek my face. And my heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. Hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger. O you who have been my help, cast me not off. Forsake me not, O God of my salvation. For my father and my mother have forsaken me. But the Lord will take me in. Teach me your way, O Lord. And lead me on a level path because of my enemies. Give me not up to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me, and they breathe out violence. I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong. Let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. Let's pray for his blessing on his word. Father, we thank you for your truth. Thank you for this beautiful, <clears throat> real and raw psalm that we can all relate to. Spirit, I pray that you would help us to relate to it now as we consider our own trials, as we consider our own difficulties in life and the struggles to trust. Would you make the truth relevant to us now, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Trust in the Lord is where we begin. Trust grows as we consider the Lord. The psalmist opens up and is asking us uh, to remember to trust in the Lord. All capitals, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, the personal name of God, Yahweh, the one who has delivered Israel time and time again, he calls us to trust on the Lord. And he asked two rhetorical questions. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? This is the confidence that draws us to David, isn't it? We love David for his confidence in the Lord. Over and over again, he expresses this kind of confidence. We're first, we're first exposed to it when he shows up on the battle lines where Israel's on one side and the Philistines are on the other side and Goliath comes out and he begins to taunt Israel once again. And David just happens to be there that day. And David is enraged that someone would dare defy his God, 
the Lord Yahweh. And we pick up on his conversation with Saul a little bit later. 1 Samuel 17, I'll just read this to you. David said this to Saul, Let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. And Saul says to David, You're not able to go against the Philistine to fight with him, for you're but a youth. And he's been a man of war from his youth. But David says to Saul, Your servant used to keep sheep for his father, and when there came a lion or a bear... And it took a lamb from the flock. I went after him and I I struck him and delivered him out of his mouth. And if he arose against me, I caught him by his beard and I struck him and killed him. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them for he has defied the armies of the living God. And David said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, go, and the Lord be with you. And the Lord was with him. We love the confidence of David, don't we? The Lord was with him through many battles, through many betrayals, through many trials into his future. And so David, considering all of this history with the Lord, he describes him and said, he is our light. He, Yahweh, is our light. He is the one who brings joy and purity and guidance. It's the opposite of what is sinful and what is evil. He's our salvation. He's the deliverer, the one who has redeemed us from our enemies. The one who has redeemed us from our troubles. He offers us protection. He is a stronghold, the strength of our life, a a fortress, a place where we find refuge from our enemies and our troubles. He is that place. He is that person. Storms are coming in today. If they get bad, what do we do? We find a place of refuge. When your kids have nightmares, what do they do? They come to you and they they try to find a place of refuge. My parents are here and I would find refuge sometimes. I would wake up in the morning and I would be between them. It's because I watched something scary or had some sort of nightmare. I think I was maybe 17 the last time that happened or something like that. No. No. It's great to have my parents here. But we find refuge there, don't we? That's what we're talking about. Yahweh says, I am the refuge. And so for David, there's no shortage of enemies. We know that. We know his story. There were some in Israel who wanted him dead. There were many more outside of Israel who wanted to do harm to him. Evildoers wanted to eat up his flesh, he says. Armies are encamped against him. The smell of war is in the air. But David's response was pure and simple. My heart will not fear. I will be confident. David is preaching to himself. David is reminding himself of who the Lord is. He says, I won't fear because of him. So we have to pause here for a moment and reflect. Can you relate to David? Maybe the enemies are surrounding you. The smell of war is in the air. Do others wish to do you harm? Are you afraid? Do you fear? Maybe there's someone sabotaging you at work or they're, they're slandering your reputation. Maybe it's a family member. Maybe you've been betrayed by the people who have committed to love you. Do not be afraid. Put your confidence, David says, in the Lord. 
We all deal with our adversary, the devil, who like a roaring lion is prowling about seeking someone to devour. And Peter warns us that we have to be sober. Uh, we have to be vigilant. But neither of those require fear, do they? Being sober doesn't mean we're afraid. Being vigilant doesn't mean we're afraid. Whatever you're facing, whoever you're facing, today we're assured you can trust the Lord. You can put your confidence in Him. He is your light, your salvation, your stronghold. Trust grows as we engage in the Lord's presence. Verse 4, 5, and 6 speak to this. David's one desire, he says, is to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of his life. This doesn't mean that David wants to live in the tabernacle 24-7. That's not what he's getting at. It doesn't mean you need to just move in here and say, this is where I'm going to live. It means he wants to live in such a way that he's consistently preoccupied with God. That the goodness of God is on his mind. This is a sure answer to the distractions of fear, isn't it? It's like Peter looking at Jesus and walking on the water. But what happens? He gets distracted by the waves. Fear comes in. But as long as we're looking at Christ, as long as we're looking and gazing upon the Lord, as David goes on to say, I want, I want to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and inquire in his temple. He's not requesting a, a staring contest. This isn't an idol that he's going to set up and, and stare at and pray to. Nothing man-made here. When David says he wants to gaze at the beauty of the Lord, he's saying, I want to know all the wonders. And I want to know all the delightful things about God. I want to know about His love and His power and His grace and His righteousness. I want to know about all those things. And, and I can imagine at this point, like an artist who goes to an art gallery and they, they're looking at a, a painting that Rembrandt has done. And as an artist looks at that, they're, they're looking at how the strokes were made and the stroke pattern. And they're looking, looking at the colors and how Rembrandt would blend all of those amazing colors together. And they're learning more about Rembrandt as they evaluate his art. And as we consider our God and as we gaze upon Him and the works that He's doing around us in His Word, we learn more about Him. We learn more of His trustworthiness and His faithfulness. And so David is essentially saying, I want to know Him more. By the way, that's our purpose around here, to know Christ so that we might make Him known. He also longs to inquire of the Lord in His temple. Though David could inquire of God anywhere, for him there's something special about the tabernacle. There's something special about being there. He needs wisdom, he needs direction, he needs guidance, and not just any counselor will do. He needs Yahweh to be a counselor to him. And in verses 5 and 6, David once again declares his confidence in the Lord. He says, he, he will hide me in his shelter. He will conceal me under his tent. He'll put me on a high rock. Notice the calamities that he throws in here. All of the varying calamities of life. He is there to protect. And all of that results in worship for David. Joyful worship. He says, I'm just going gonna, gonna to shout some songs of praise. It makes me think of the time when the ark came back into Israel. Uh, the, 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 the presence of God recognizing that. What does David do? He's dancing. 
He's so excited. He's so happy. He's so filled with joy at the presence of God that he can't help but shout and sing and dance. So where do we go when trust gets hard? Where do we go when the fears begin to overwhelm us, those floodwaters begin to come in? I'm afraid many of us attempt to find refuge in the wrong things. We may try to drown it out with some distractions that the world may offer. I typically will get out like a pad of paper or open up a Word document or something like that and start typing out, okay, well, if this happens, here's what I'm going to do. And I start making my plan B and C and D and figuring out what those next steps will be for me and my family. When in fact, what I should be doing is pulling out my Bible and gazing upon the glory and the beauty of the Lord and being reminded that He's a God who I can put my trust in. He's a God who I can put my confidence in. I should be surrounding myself with other believers who are going to be praying for me and pointing me to the Lord. We find that same confidence-building presence of God in the fellowship of other believers. It's what it's about. It's what the church is about. This is the body of Christ. We're meant to present Christ to one another and to the world. We all have a part to play in that. And so we do that. Let's gaze upon him. God will protect you. God will lift you out of the mire that you find yourself in. He will set your feet on a rock high above your enemies. And so look to him. Look to him. I can think of small instances even this week where I knew that's what I need to do. I, I sense... Like, like what Nathan was mentioning, I sense a little bit of a bad attitude coming in right now, and I need sanctification in this moment. But I don't look to him, right? I, I either want to stew in it or I want to distract myself away from it when all the while the Spirit of God is saying, open up the Word. Open up the Word. Gaze upon him. Remind yourself of what is true in this moment. And my friends, those are the battle lines here. This is where Scripture's giving us some insight as to what we're to do in those moments so that it can lead to shouting and singing. In the second half of the psalm, very different. A, a lamenting tone is taken on by David as he's talking about praying to the Lord. The transition is noted by the words, Hear, O Lord, when I cry in verse 7. Hear, O Lord. David is begging God not just to hear him, but to graciously answer, to, to act on his behalf. First, he prays for the Lord's presence, more of the Lord's presence. We just covered that in verses 4 through 6. I remember years ago hearing a sermon on those verses there where he says, You've said to me, God, seek my face. God says, hey, you, you Christians, seek my face. And my heart, David says, has replied, your face will I seek. It's an echo. It's a response that we have. So David, who you might remember is in trouble, enemies wishing him dead, he prays, God, do not hide your face from me. Don't turn your servant away in anger. You've been my help so many times and in so many ways, don't cast me off, don't forsake me. Oh God of my salvation. I, I hope you can feel the weight of his words. And I have no doubt that everyone in this room has felt the weight of those words at certain moments in your life. 
God, if you don't come now, I'm not gonna make it through this. If you don't rescue, if you don't intervene, it's over. That, that's where David's at. Don't hide from me. We feel the weight. We've all felt that God must be angry with us at certain points in our life. We've all felt that he was hiding from us at certain points in our life. Is it true? No. Was God hiding from David? No. He wasn't hiding from David. Was God angry with David? No. Is God angry with us? No. Is he hiding from us? No. Still, those feelings persist from time to time. I think of Job 23 where Job says, Oh, that I might find him. I want to I stand before him and I want to appeal to God. And he says, I, I look in front of me and he's not there. And I look behind me and he's not there. And I look to the, the left and I look to the right and he's not there. But do you remember Job's words of hope there in Job 23? What does he say? But he knows the way I take he knows where I am even when I don't know where he is. And when I am tried, I will come forth as gold. David even says here that his parents have forsaken him. His parents have forsaken him. He's probably referring to their death. They're no longer around. But notice the return of confidence. But the Lord will take me in. He'll be a parent to me. I've heard from many people over the years, people whose parents have died, and they'll say, man, I just wish I could pick up the phone. And I just wish I could, I could talk to them. Going through some things right now, I'd love to talk to my mom about that. I'd love to talk to my dad about that right now. And I, I can't imagine that. But David could. And what encourages David here, I hope encourages you, is that God takes up those who have been forsaken. Maybe it's a spouse, maybe it's a friend, maybe they actually did walk out on you. But God will never forsake you. That's the promise we find here. Secondly, David prays for guidance. He wants wisdom, 11 and 12. In the throes of the storm, we don't really think clearly, do we? In the midst of the attacks of the enemy, we're not thinking clearly. And so, you remember when the disciples were in the boat and the, the storm was raging and, and they're thinking, we're going to die, and they're screaming, we're going to die, all the while forgetting that, that Jesus is in the boat with them. They weren't thinking clearly. We don't think clearly when we're under duress. And so David prays this. This is a great prayer. Teach me your way, O Lord. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me on a level path. David desires to respond as God would have him to respond in the battle. David wants to walk the path that God has plotted for him. He doesn't want to be a trailblazer here. He wants to be obedient. He wants to know what the way of the Lord is in the trial. Uh, realize that, that at one point in David's life, Saul was trying to kill him. He was chasing him all over southern Israel. David's hiding out in caves. And there was one point where David had the opportunity to take Saul out. David was already in a cave and here comes Saul and he could have ended all of the struggle and the strife there. But what prayer had he been praying? Teach me your ways, O Yahweh. 
And it was not the way of Yahweh for him to take Saul out. And so he followed the Lord's pattern of living. When others attack you, pray this prayer. I've heard from, from many of you just in a variety of conversations. We talked about forgiveness a couple of weeks ago. And many of you have been working through that and you've been trying to think through that in particular relationships in your life. This is a great prayer to pray in those kinds of situations. Teach me your way, oh God. Lead me on a level path here. I don't want to give way to bitterness and anger. I want to forgive as you have forgiven. And so David once again puts his trust in God's care, asking God to protect him from the violence that others are breathing out against him. But there's a third thing that David prays for here, and it's a future blessing. In verse 13, he looks to the future with this confidence, knowing that a day's coming when he will clearly see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. And I love this verse. Because it's as if David is saying this, today I might be hiding in a cave, but there's coming a day when I will clearly see that everything God has done is for good. I will clearly see the goodness of the Lord at every point along the way of my life. The purpose in every bit of pain, as we just sang, the purpose in all of the scars that God had a good plan. My friends, this is a prayer of faith, isn't it? This is trust. It's what it is. To trust the goodness of God. It's the stuff that the just live by according to Hebrews 10.38. It's the stuff that pleases God according to Hebrews 11. It's the stuff that comes by hearing the word of God according to Romans 10. So whatever you're going through, remember this. He who began the good work in you will complete that work. He's not like you and the projects you got going on around your house that are half done. He finishes what he starts. He will complete the work. Remember that he is the one who promises that all things will work together for the good of his children. Trial that he has you in is designed to test your faith according to 1 Peter 4. And then finally in Psalm 27, it concludes with what's probably its most famous line. And we don't like it very much. Wait on the Lord. Wait. We don't like to wait. Wait on the Lord. While you're waiting, be strong. While you're waiting, take courage. Wait for the Lord. Just in case you missed it the first time I said it, six words ago, I'm going to tell you again, wait on the Lord. This is David's prayer for patience. We hate the idea of patience. We don't like it. So it's interesting that David's prayer turns really into a personal pep talk. He, he preaches to himself at the conclusion of this because he knows my circumstances haven't changed automatically because I wrote this psalm. I still have to wait. I still have to put my trust and my confidence in the Lord. Wait on Him. And David waited. He waited 22 years before he would be crowned king of Israel. 
from the promise that was made, David, you're going to be the next king. 22 years. I struggle to wait five minutes at the bank drive-in. I struggle to wait two days for my Amazon Prime packages to show up on my doorstep. Wait on the Lord. We like the immediate. We expect the immediate. God plays a long game. He's got a... He's got a plan, he's got a purpose for your life. And when I say life, I'm not talking about the next five minutes. I'm talking about the next five years. I'm talking about the next 50 years. I'm talking about the next 500 years beyond us. As God views his plan of redemption unfolding in the world, he's not impatient like we are. And so he says to us today, my friends, wait on me. I like it when he said that to Habakkuk. Remember that story? Habakkuk was pretty upset with the Lord that he wasn't judging Israel. Habakkuk had told Israel judgment's coming and judgment did not come. And he went to the Lord complaining and said, God, when are you going to be faithful to the promise you made that you're going to bring judgment to this sinful nation? And God said, oh, I am bringing judgment. The Chaldeans are coming in. Well, the Chaldeans, they're more wicked than we are. How can you use them to judge us? And Yahweh patiently responds and comes back and forth with Habakkuk in a series of conversations. And at one point he says, Oh, Habakkuk, if my plan seems slow, wait for it. Wait for it. It's the story we find throughout the pages of scripture time and time again examples of those who had to wait for the Lord Joseph Moses Job Ruth David Jeremiah Daniel Esther Jesus himself Jesus gives us the ultimate example of what it is to wait on the Lord and his plan to unfold so today maybe you're in a trial Maybe it's been a difficult week. But as we've often said, if you're not in a trial today, there's probably one coming soon because it's the pattern of life. So what do we do? We give you the three things. Gaze on the Lord. Gaze on Him. Look to Him. He is your protector. And if you ever doubt that, if you ever get to a point in your life where things get so dark and so difficult, the one place you go to remind yourself that He is your stronghold is the cross. The one place you go to remind yourself that He's a God who keeps His promises, He's faithful to the end, is the cross. Because it's the fulfillment of all the promises that God has made. They come to bear in that one moment. And we're reminded there, He does love me. We're reminded there he does have a plan for me. We're reminded there of joy and peace and patience and all of the fruit that we need and that we want for our own lives. Gaze on him, look to him, go to the cross. The second thing, let his word guide your steps. Don't try to go it alone in the trial. Go to his word. 
Ask for his counsel. Seek direction from him. Going it alone will result in more calamity and more destruction for you and for all the people around you. We want to follow the Lord's pattern as we move through the trials of life. We want to be faithful. And number three, wait for His goodness to prove itself true in your life. In the darkness and in the trial, I understand. It's not easy to see the goodness of God. It's an expression of faith, isn't it? To say, God is still good despite what I see going on around me. And I will wait because I know I will see that goodness at some point in the future. Wait on that goodness to prove true. Friends, that is what we call hope. It is the expectation of all of God's promises and all of God's character and goodness being fulfilled in our lives. I'm gonna ask you to bow with me this morning for just a moment. I want to give you a moment to pray. Maybe this is a moment where you're gazing. You're reminding yourself of who He is. Maybe you're praying that prayer to say, God, give me direction. I, I, I'm struggling to know what to do in the trial. Or maybe it's waiting. You're impatient. And you need more patience. Wherever you find yourself today, now is an opportunity to pray. If you need to pray with somebody, if, if you just want someone else to, to pray over you, to pray with you, to open up God's Word and encourage you, you can come forward at any point. We'll take you to God's Word. We'll pray with you. Let's respond as God's Word intersects with our own lives and hearts this morning. Father, I have no doubt that there's some in this room that, that right now your plan seems slow. And you're encouraging them today, wait for it. Wait for it. Let it, let it play out because your plans are always good. Lord, we have others in the room who, who are looking back and this, this message is, is, is causing them to be reflective because they've been through the trials. And it was hard to wait. It was difficult to not know if, if you heard them, if you were hiding from them, if you were angry with them. But Lord, we look back and we see your goodness and faithfulness. We see the, the purpose of the scars and we, we confess with singing as David does, we're thankful for them. Your plan works. Lord, help us to comfort one another with those kinds of encouraging stories and testimonies. Help us to comfort one another by reminding one another that you're our stronghold, that you're faithful, that you're good. Help us to look for those people today. Help us to look for those people this week who need encouraged and need an infusion of hope. You'll bring them into our lives, I have no doubt. And so help us to disciple and encourage and counsel those folks in our own homes, in our own neighborhoods, our own places of employment, the strangers we interact with, God. May we remind them of the hope that we have in Jesus. Thank you, God. Thank you that there in the cross and in the, in the empty tomb, 
all of our all of our questions are answered and we rejoice in that together today we thank you for this time we thank you for your word and it is in jesus name we pray amen amen